Welcome to the Limolist, uh, the podcast between with Jason Horsley. I am talking to Luke Dodson about the end of the world as we know it. You just can't see what you expect. I'll never be. Yeah, so it was mob rule versus hair harmony. Is that the 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 topic that we came up with? Yeah, with M O B. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want to say what it stands for because I'm wary of feeding into the the fear and the paranoia. Um, more and more so. I can understand that. It's been Something obviously we've been we've been talking about this in the um, the affinity group sessions recently, and the the sense of a kind of closing in, and the uh, escape routes sort of shutting down, and kind of like trying to negotiate and navigate through this strange situation. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm. I do hope that I do hope that that element of paranoia, that kind of slightly apocalyptic, revelations-inspired paranoia that we're feeling, I hope it's overblown. <laughs> I really do. I hope it's just oh, you know, it, it's a narrative that we're projecting onto, and I'll undoubtedly very corrupt and sinister and also just basically very incompetent move by various corporate and political elites that will probably end up with lots of people being harmed, unfortunately, but um, maybe it doesn't have quite the significance that we're fearing. Or maybe it does. See, I'm aware that there's a compassionate response which is yeah I don't want bad things to happen to people I'm also aware that for myself obviously I don't want bad things to happen but also I don't want to be inconvenienced and as I've said for a number of years now the apocalypse is extremely inconvenient at the very least that's the very least we can say about it it's going to be inconvenient Uh, like (coughs) Like if the apocalypse was just the power going out and never coming back, right? or if it turned out that that was all it was, that would not be a small thing. Right? That would be massive, and in fact, it would become more than inconvenient as as you know people became more and more hungry and desperate. Uh, so certainly, there's a domino effect. But even just starting with that, like if, if the power went out, you know, what would you do? Um, so obviously, or maybe obviously, I don't want, I don't want massive inconvenience for myself. Never mind what it could lead to. Uh, but on the other hand, and I think it's becoming palpable with the situation now that we're getting more and more of a, 
an experiential sense of what, what it's like, you know, what a civilization comes unraveled. There is a feeling for me of relief, and it's not just the relief of, oh, I was right. <laughs> I wasn't just paranoid and imagining it. It's also the relief of, um, that we're going to get to see, or we're starting to see, you know, how, how fucked up things really are. I suspect it goes back to childhood, you know, growing up in an environment in which uh, there was a constant pretense that things were better than they really were. And certainly we can, it's easy to extend that out into society at large, that the whole society depends on pretending that things are better than they are, even though there's a weird sort of counter-narrative now with the environmental crisis and now, of course, the pandemic, which is things are maybe worse than they are. I mean, maybe there's a thing to try and make them... Well, there is a thing, certainly with the COVID, to make it seem worse than it is. But anyway, I mean, those two things are complementary, I think. Even in a psychological sense, they're complementary because if we're not willing to see how bad things really are, we'll come up with cover stories that, on the one hand, they try and suppress the noise, but then they have to compensate for it, like Hollywood, by creating false crises. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is something I've noticed a lot with, I was noticing, as we've, we've talked about before, with Extinction Rebellion, um, a few years before this supposed pandemic, and how they would talk about human extinction, com complete, actual, literal human extinction within a generation, and then arrange a kind of disco dance flash mob to try and uh, raise raise awareness of that issue. I think, well, if if it's really that bad, then surely disco dancing is going to be fairly low down on your list of things to do in the, <laughs> in the realization of that. But you're you're absolutely right. I think that that it's a kind of uh, a displacement of the mm -hmm. underlying, perhaps the underlying anxiety that everyone feels that perhaps things are actually much more wonky and unreliable than they really seemed they we've then we've been uh, uh, educated to believe and then you have these sort of mini mini crises which are kind of plausible so it's like okay it's plausible that there could be some really bad climate change and it's plausible that it could be generated by uh, all of the pollution and the car emissions and the, you know all of that and it's plausible that there could be a pandemic that could plausibly kill lots of people but it's not necessarily immediately imminently plausible in any particular given situation so you have to use the media kind of like okay look this is the thing but then all of the other things uh are going on in the background with you know the things that Jim Kunstler and, and others have been pointing out with this simple fact of the resources running out. And so you kind of don't look at that, look at this terrible crisis, but there's this amazing 
amazing solar technology or this amazing vaccine that can just sort the whole thing out and so it ends up you you end up with another product that you can buy to save save the planet basically <laughs> i guess the problem does have to be this is a bit david and problem reaction solution but you know he, he does have some salient points the problem has to be compatible with a solution that can be uh, either manufactured or shaped and directed. So I'm also thinking of, to me, what's much closer to a problem is the organised child abuse that I've covered in my work and how prevalent that is and the effects of it. And one of the reasons I think it's much more worthy of attention is is that it's very easy if you're willing to trace it back to one's own body and one's own experience even if one isn't a victim of sexual abuse one's certainly a victim of some kind of childhood trauma due to bad parenting i think i don't want to even use the word bad but anyway you know neglectful what have you uh but at the same time and, and not to distracted from that main point there is something like QAnon which is turning that into a, a product, a problem reaction solution, there's a reaction against the organised child abuse and the, the pedophile rings and well, we, we know the narrative here and the listeners will too and that doesn't seem like a healthy approach either so I suppose anything can be turned into a, a fake narrative uh, and maybe by the same token, anything, unless it's completely fake, which I have to wonder about the COVID thing, but I don't think even that. I think there's at the very least there's bioweapons and stuff involved in that, at the very least. Um, but yeah, so even a narrative or a crisis that's being exploited, I would say you, we can trace it back to our own bodies and our psyches and that there's always a correlation. So I, mean, I remember back in 2002 when I wrote Matrix War, I had a little passage about the environmental crisis and I can't remember exactly what I said, but I'm just saying, well, I mean, this is the matrix. So if you're looking outside of you, none of it's actually real in the sense that we think it is. So then, and obviously, I mean, this was, it was all uh, slightly tongue in cheek because I never believed that we were living in a computer simulation, but I think as a metaphor, even though I don't trust that film and the sources anymore, I think it works, um, that the environmental crisis, it does mirror something in a number of different ways, sort of symbol symbolically as, as without, so within, but also psychologically, like insofar as there is a kind of environmental crisis, or to whatever extent, due to human behaviour, that can be traced back to human neurosis, uh, human pathologies, dysfunctional behaviours, you know, consumerism, whatever, one could obviously draw a chart of that. So again, you can, and, and by the same token, the environmental crisis, to my mind, it is an externalisation, possibly projection, but I think a mix of projection and actual reality that's externalising an internal pollution which brings us back to organised child abuse again. Not only that, but alcoholism, which is in my family, that's internal pollution, which facilitates child abuse. Uh, so it's, it's all, you know, there's a real uh, 
con- continuity, a continuum between these things. Mm. Uh, and to bring it back to our opening subject, the apocalypse, for, for a long time, I mean, as long as I can remember, I felt we, I was living in, you know, I was the beginning of the apocalypse, I was going to live to see it. But I think I also knew or felt or believed that uh, the challenge and the opportunity was to internalize the apocalypse, to allow for an internal apocalypse, revelation, collapse of structures and delusions and false allegiances and so on, uh, worship of idols, all the rest of it that's in the, in the book of Revelation, in order to uh, well, bring home, you know, bring home whatever's happening outside of us is the only way to prepare, quote-unquote, because I don't think it's, it's not about prepping. I mean, the prepping is literally moving to nature and learning, you know, getting chickens and stuff. That's real basic stuff. But the apocalypse is much more, if, if it's happening, it's much more than the collapse of civilization. Like, there's no, there's no scenario, there's no crisis scenario that could uh, adequately prepare us for what the apocalypse means in the, in the Christian sense. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I very much have felt the same way from a lot of my life. I remember feeling, thinking rather that I would live to see the apocalypse and that it was quite imminent. Obviously, I, I came of age just before Y2K. I was about 12, I think, in 1999. And obviously, the whole that was a big thing. You know, in 1999, had this kind of numerological significance. I read the book Good Omens in that year uh, by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman and became obsessed with it and reread it, I think, every year for a few years after that. I remember going to see a, an exhibition in the National Gallery of apocalyptic art from um, Albrecht Dürer and people like that onwards up to you know the modern day. And I always felt like this is this is it, you know. This is this is what this is what I'm going to live to see, and um, I was always quite looking forward to it. You know, you spin out these kind of science fiction fantasy dramas in your head about it. Then, of course, the 2012 thing was the 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 big the kind of you know Y2K for the for the um, MK Ultra generation, you know. Um, so that was you know that was a that was quite a quite a significant thing. when you were talking about um in the internal apocalypse it reminded me of uh donnie darko and that's where in writing about 16 maps that's where i've started to bring it further back home because when i was on my 15th birthday actually in in 2002 uh when when matrix warrior came out um i my brother took me to see donnie darko in the cinema and so there i'm 15 years old and watching this film about a guy who's about my age he's about 15 or 16 um and he's realizing that he's caught in the wrong time stream and that somehow he needs to get back and through an act of self-sacrifice, he does that. So mm. that Hollywood narrative um, 
sort of sunk in and after about sort of six months to a year actually started to to give birth to uh my own kind of inner version of that narrative uh and i i felt like i was donnie darko uh, in some way i was like this i was aware of something that had gone horribly wrong with reality and somehow i needed to correct it and the only way i could really think of was some form of self-sacrifice some form of suicide or suicide by you know life events was my preferred mm. preferred method because it would mean that i wouldn't actually have to take the take the plunge um so there, there was me I, I i was i always assumed i'd be the one of the family to top myself and um as it was i that was the um the very strange twist in my family story but um that was i remember thinking of this phrase like inner apocalypse or internal apocalypse quite a lot back in those days so it was almost like a very neurotic and culturally distorted version of what we're talking about now of of withdrawing they're actually the, the healthy perhaps the healthy way to approach it is withdrawing the projections onto the external world and withdrawing them in in the Jungian sense and realizing that they are part of our own psyche which then connects up to all the other psyches in the collective unconscious in the human energy field mm -hmm. well um there's two ways to go here because you brought us to the brothers the junction of the brothers so right away which is an overlap between you and i and our personal histories so i think it's worth going into that but the last thing you said and maybe they can be connected I don't know uh, brought to mind what I was talking about on the guys meet on Tuesday that I was reading in Steiner and, and Steiner was well he was interpreting the book of Revelation so he was on that subject and he of course focused as well on the subject of 666 and he saw it as relating to dates well not only courses he talks about the sun and how it's the number of the sun and how as I, as you may know i wrote about back as Aeolus capus the number of the physical sun and then the hidden sun is 888 which corresponds with christ and the uh, and so steiner refers to that because he says that every planet and every star has its just as the human psyche perhaps has its dark side that just as uh, the sun is inhabited by angelic beings or solar beings anyway it also has a d demons that reside there a body of demons a legion of demons and so the 666 corresponds with that but anyway um steiner you know so it's his rabbit hole uh he also talks about the dates and how well the the year he talks about the year 333 but then the year 666 it's a big turning point he doesn't mention sabbatavai's v but I think uh, a lot of people are aware of of, of this guy uh, being around six, 666 AD and then uh, the thir whatever the next one is it would be 1300 and something that, that pertains to the Templars 
and then after that was 1998 which corresponds with just uh, the Y2K right before that that period um, but anyway that that was kind of a bit of a digression just some numero numerological context uh, the his interpretation or the part of his interpretation in the book of Revelation that I found most compelling I think was the idea that it's a description of the body of God uh, which he maps in his work in terms of angelic hierarchies uh, descending down into the animal kingdom which corresponds with the astral and of course the human body uh, or the human being is I say of course but uh, is potentially is the bridge between the animal and the angelic 666 the number of a man uh, and uh, what's described in the Reve in Revelation is a sort of um, wouldn't be a manual but can't think of the term really but it's um, describing in a quasi-historical sense a process that's occurring or will occur both in in the metaphysical body of we could say the human energy field if we want to bring it to that subject but then we'd be making the human energy field synonymous with Christ which is then the, you know, the son of God and I don't want to get too out there uh, mystically speaking but the idea that we're inside a living system I don't think we should call it an organism because that makes it seem biological um, and that the apocalypse is a process within that system so as I mentioned on Tuesday that the vase of wrath he says correspond roughly with the um, secretory glands in the human body which would relate to detoxification I suppose um, and so on and it's too I'm too new to it too, and I don't know how deeply he went into it but to, to really unpack it or use it but certainly I feel it's got a lot of potential and, and I mention it here because it it, it mirrors the internal apocalypse the, the, the external apocalypse itself is something in a certain sense internal inside in, within the body of existence if you will and that we're we're a cell within that so naturally as long as we're identified with being an individual separate being within this massive meta hyperorganism that's going through ch -ch -ch changes you know, adolescence or whatever it is um, it's going to be apocalyptic in this conventional sense of you know, really fucking scary what the hell's going on reality is just completely becoming unstable and or hostile but then the more that we can change our orientation to looking within and tuning into what's in, happening internally that would correspond homeopathically let's say or um, microcosmically with, with the external thing it would be happening as within so without uh, so, and so the more, yeah, the more in tune we are with our own psychosomatic inner world and allowing, facilitating, surrendering to whatever this is. We haven't even got to that. You know, 
what, what it really means seems to have to do with and I think this is quite deep here but that if we the more we tune into our inner world the more we realize that our inner world um, corresponds with the outer world and that there really is no separation between us the, the skin is, is not really uh, it doesn't really establish a separateness because if we're on the inside I mean cells have membranes doesn't make them separate so we have this human body that gives us the illusion of being separate that's only because we're so localized if we pull it far enough back well there's a whole planet with these different organisms on it and then there's a whole universe and then <laughs> we can just keep pulling back so i think that that's the apocalypse on the on the grand scale is going deep deep enough within to i suppose get turned inside out so deva shana's described enlightenment and and have the enlightenment uh, event that allows us to realize our true nature as as part of a much greater field of existence that would certainly be the end of everything to the identity mm. um so yeah so then and then maybe i can tie it to our brothers because does this correspond there's a correspondence there what you said is that suicide by life events well i was on that path too because i went to morocco to see if i could get killed essentially i was putting it um, starkly but it's true i didn't want to commit commit suicide it's literally that i didn't want to commit suicide i'll go somewhere where my chances of surviving are very slim that way i can get out of my because i'd made a kind of oath if i can't have this woman i'm going to die right and i thought wait can't have the woman but now I can't I can't kill myself you know that's just immoral so I had to find a way to you know. uh, so and then my brother of course getting crucified well that's about as close as you can get to suicide by life events in a certain sense or enacting some sort of suicide without actually doing it of course he eventually did suicide by life events whether he's murdered or accidental or suicide is unknown but that would be consistent with this this pattern uh, and and at the same time for me and for him I was doing more of the Siddhartha thing and he was doing the Christ thing this the it was much more than it was an attempt to surrender to life for both of us I think which is the Christ the Christ solution is you, know, you just get up on the cross and you you are willing to sacrifice everything in order to do God's will I think that that's the apocalypse for humanity. It's God's will or surrendering to God's will or it's this very, very terrible, terrible, terrible outcome, mm. which, which I, know, I guess it is in the apocalypse because it's in Revelation, it's the mark of the beast, but they don't go into all the detail. I mean, we're seeing what it's looking like now. Uh, I'd say it's, it's more horrific than anything in Revelation to me because, mm. well... I suppose it's it is it is like eternal damnation. The idea that human bodies will just become hosts for for um, bio machinery uh, and battery essentially batteries for for some machine like world indefinitely. I think that that's what we're perceiving. You know, the beginnings of it. 
Yeah. So yeah, that, that's a very dark outcome, and I think it is. There's this split in the road now. It's 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 all God or nothing. You know, hell. Serve heaven. Oh. <laughs> Rain in hell, there isn't much raining actually, as it turns out. It really was a trick of, of <laughs> Lucifer. Mm. Well, the historical interpretation of the revelations that one of you in the affinity group was, was mentioning, it might have been you, I can't remember, but uh, we got onto the subject of the use of money. I think I think it was you actually. You mentioned that it's the use of money in the Roman Empire. The, Caesar's head on the, the coins yeah. and the, the mark of Caesar's is the mark of the beast on an archetypal level I can see these sort of same patterns repeating themselves throughout history in smaller and bigger and you know different kind of permutations each time but it's essentially the same sort of pattern of a, a control system that is starting to tighten up and it gets tight to a point where people have to make a choice between what are my core values myself what's my what's my true body saying about this and what is society saying that you know well what's the big deal just go to the market and you know you know render unto caesar what is caesar but then it's like there's maybe there's something else maybe there was another another historical aspect to, to it that we don't know we're not aware of and now it's much more than just using coins with you know i mean i use coins with the queen's head on it and i don't know i don't i don't know what the queen gets up to i've heard i've heard rumors about the royal family and you know it's certainly there's enough very untoward connections there that i would say that the mark the mark of the queen is equivalent to the mark of caesar at the very least but that's at least outside of the skin when you get to the the vaccine, the microchip for identity, you know, the digital ID passport. Then we're getting into unknown territory, possibly unknown in the whole history of the human species. And at the same time, when when this stuff was happening with, you know, when Revelations was written, it was kind of at the beginning of the end of the Roman Empire. And the the cult that was seeded back then eventually ended up taking over the Roman Empire and becoming Romanized, and kind of becoming a, a a vehicle for Roman power in the new sort of new civilization that developed after that. So I wonder if something will happen equivalent equivalent circumstance will happen with this that you know that some sort of all of us on the margins will create some sort of new system that eventually will... <laughs> no, don't say it.
There's got to be end times. I mean, the empire never ended, is what you're expressing now, the Dickian thing. Uh, well, I think, I mean, doesn't this come back to what the apocalypse really is? It has to be not just the end of an empire, because the empire never ends within its own context. That's how it prevailed, is this virus that just keeps replicating and mutating. But because and I think because it goes back to the Garden of Eden, you know, symbolically speaking, again, it's something in us that we then create the external systems. So in that sense, it never ends until until we end it with it, end our allegiance. And it may well be, you know, in this sort of infinite multiverse that we exist within, that there are virtually endless reiterations of the same fucking Netflix show which always ends up you know with the Empire reigning supreme like those Star Wars sequels that you know ended on the cliffhanger and then the sequel didn't satisfy kind of thing um, so then uh, the, the, the end of the, the world has to be the end it's not just the end of a system it's the end of it's the end of what we think of as reality possibly also the end of time the illusion of time the reign of the, the reign of chronos uh, so well i mean maybe this speaks to because I feel like this came up, I think this even came up on the last men's meet, because I was listening to the audio and I feel, I think I was thinking about this in response to that. But whenever, because somebody then said, we're trying to fix something that's broken. And I'd say that whenever a movement away from empire, away from delusion, away from the mob rule, uh, away from the things that we're talking about, whenever it is reactionary or resistance-based and thereby either intentionally tries to or ends up creating a counter-movement, an opposition, then that almost instantly becomes controllable if it wasn't to begin with, if it, you know, if it wasn't actually seeded in us as a, as a last trap as we're exiting hell we end up actually building a whole new annex on hell and saying this now we're outside hell and we've actually just become one more architect architect of hell this is a second matrix analogy and that and I think this is where nature comes in the it's not about trying to build a better world, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, that, and we see how central that is to the ideology of the empire. It's absolutely central. It's all about making the world a better place. Yeah. Always been the rationale. Right? So that's got to be a clue. If we yeah. think that we're somehow going to create a new way of living by... No, it's, it can't be that. It, I think it ha I think it's Jesus in the wilderness and Buddha, uh, the Bodhi tree again. I think it has to be, it's a it's a willingness to say no to empire, no to the mark of the beast, etc. 
no to the Queen on the coin. Are you saying the Queen? At a certain point, you have to say, well, even though that's not inside me, still, and even though I don't have to say uh, rule Britannia every time I use this coin, still, I'm compromised. Mm. And uh, so the no compromise solution, and of course I haven't made it, I haven't done it, but I feel time's running out, and it's 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 the eye of the needle, you know, the eye of the storm is the eye of the needle. We're getting closer and closer to it. It's. I don't think it can be about survival per se. It's it's almost as if we have to, or maybe not almost, we have to say, even if I will die, without the mark of the beast, without the coin of the empire, without the some sort of system to rely on. Uh, I, I will choose death. It's, it's ironic, it's symmetrical, because all these people are choosing the vaccine, etc., and, and to bow down before empire, because they, they think they're choosing life. Well, I would say they're choosing death, because they're saying, basically, enslave me, but just keep me alive. That's actually a death choice to mm. the life force. And so, symmetrically, I think, choosing not choosing death, but choosing life uh, no matter the cost, true life, even if the cost is death. That, um, that's like surrendering to nature. That's like saying, I'm going to trust in my body and my instincts and nature t to take care of me. It's again what I wanted to do in Morocco. I wanted to strip off all my clothes and walk off into the Sahara Desert to make this most totally symbolic act of surrender. Of course, I never did that. I never even got to the Sahara. And I, and I'm, I probably would have died if I'd done that, which is partly why I wanted to do it. But symbolically, and now I'm, yeah, uh, I don't know how far away it is, but I'm certainly more and more aware that at some point I may end up with a property in nature trying to you know, grow vegetables and fruit and, and thinking, if this doesn't work, what? You know? What happens? At the very least, how hard is it going to be just to live on the most basic diet for my ego, for my identity? There's going to be a, a whole cold turkey in this. But... Uh, there's no, there's no system in that. There's no movement, I would say, because it's instinct. It's just instinct going back, and it's not going to make the world a better place. No, the world is going to hell, and there's nothing we can do about that. That's my opinion. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I, I don't trust any sentiment towards making the world a better place. I really don't. And I, you know, I had a interaction with a friend recently who is trying to convince me that universal basic income was a, a good idea because it would allow people to um, experience exactly the kind of privilege that I've been experiencing and make the world a better place through writing and things like that. And I said, I'm not making the world a better place. I'm not interested in making the world a better place. It's completely, <laughs> it's a completely futile endeavor. Every time someone tries to do that, it ends up making the world a, <laughs> a worse place, or at the very least, doesn't doesn't make any difference. It ends up exhausting one's energies, which ultimately, on a microcosmic level, does make the world a, a more exhausted and depleted place because you're trying to fit something. 
interestingly actually it brings it back to nature is that you're trying to fit nature into a your preconceived pattern and nature includes all of our you know eccentricities and proclivities as human beings as human animals so trying to fit the human animal into a particular um mold just never works and it always ends up with you know the the reaction to that is for all of the things that were trying were attempted were being suppressed to come back even greater so you know if it's sort of universalist indoctrination through kind of communist internationalism whatever well that will end up with a much stronger sense of you know um not that nationalism is itself a, a natural human urge but it's the the human urge towards sort of some kind of community some sort of rooted community when that's been uprooted and then you you get sold this idea of well we're all one human family all across the world and we can all link hands and have a lovely rainbow party time and there's a natural reaction instinct towards the other the other matrix which is the you know the imagined community of nationalism um or uh, maybe a better example actually would be religion uh, and you know, countries that experience the most brutal persecution of religion uh, under communist rule have ended up being some of the most religious countries you can you can visit now because that natural human instinct towards spirituality was suppressed so much and now it's just bounce back and 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 then it comes back to the great reset and what's the motto of the great reset uh well build back better <laughs> so yeah it, it it making the world a better place is, is as you say yeah it's the it's the ideology of the empire yeah yeah it seems to center around ideological drives Probably because the world itself is a kind of fiction, as separate from the Earth. I mean, we, I mean, we don't know exactly what the Earth is if it's round or flat, because we can't be a hundred percent sure about something we haven't seen with our own eyes. But we we know what it is to be on the Earth, to be in nature. So, so we have a direct experience of that. But but the world. What is that exactly? What does it refer to? As you see, in different models, it, it means something else. Like the, Christ, the Christian, one Christian thing is this world. It means Satan's kingdom. It, it has a negative association. In other, in another context, the world simply means existence. So, when I use it, and in this, the, the way we're using it here, ideologically, it means um, it means society essentially. Right. So then that's then that's based on a foregone conclusion. For some reason Star Trek's coming to mind. I think because of the prime directive. The weird I was gonna say I'll finish the first thought. The, the foregone conclusion that society is inevitable and essential and good, that there will always be society and that's just what humans do. Well, I'd say that's untested I and mean, we've only got a short period of history really to refer to. Uh, and again, and then what do we mean by society exactly? Uh, is it human community or is it institutions and so on? 
and at what point does it become unwieldy? I mean, these are really essential questions. And certainly we're at, we know we're at the unwieldy end because we have the global society. I think a global village is an obvious oxymoron. I suppose that was an intentional thing. Um, but it still it seems too benign as an expression. We have the monoculture of 8 billion individuals, possibly, certainly those of us who are here, we, we believe there are 8 billion of us, and certainly we see loads and loads of bodies <laughs> wherever we go. So there's a lot of us anyway. Um, that's the unwieldy end. Not many of us have an experience of the, the wieldy end of a small community. I have some in hope with running a thrift store, and I'm aware that somebody could say, oh, well, you were making the world a better place there. And they wouldn't be entirely wrong. But I've always said, if that if ever does come up, yes, but I wasn't trying to. There's no ideological thrust to it. Being kind and compassionate to others and trying to alleviate their suffering or be useful or helpful, none of that has an ideological or needs any kind of ideological basis for it. And I'd say, is, if it has one, then it's probably worse than being an asshole because you're not... I mean, it's, it's like a counterfeit. Uh, if you're doing it out of an ideological reason, then it's going to be fake compassion, which is even worse than cruelty, perhaps. Um, so anyway, I, just, I do want to bring the Prime Directive back, because I, I think it is re relevant that in the Star Trek thing, that the Prime Directive was not to interfere, but every episode they interfered. And the reason that they did and they didn't know it was because it was impossible for Starship Enterprise and the writers of that show, I think, to see that, and I just read an article about this, that the, the attempt to force the uh, sexual revolution on these smaller countries, saying you've got to legalise homosexual marriage, abortion, Right, that's the prime. Well, it's not. That's the real prime directive, which which uh, cancels out the supposed prime directive, which is patriarchy bad. We're not going to oppress anyone anymore. We're just going to teach them how not to oppress anyone anymore by doing it the way we're doing it. Right? It's mm. it's 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 truly insane, uh, and that's how an ideology. That's the virus of the empire that it doesn't even know. It's doing what it's doing. It's saying it's doing the opposite. Right? It's saying that the Prime Directive is not to interfere, but um, that's all it does. And it's the same with making the world a better place. It's the opposite. That It has to have this ideological rationale and justification for doing really bad shit. Of course. Yeah. It does, right? Whereas when we do good, um, there's no rationalization needed. There's no ideology because it's 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 not only instinctive, but it it, it is also instinctive. Hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. And the nature of where we've ended up, without actually going too much into sort of specific historical details, because obviously that's the that's the surface in the external, but the, the, the place we've ended up, which is illustrated so well by Star Trek, is that we don't have... The Empire can't get away with being might is right anymore. So the old Roman 
ideology, which was that Rome is the best and fuck everyone else. And if they if they don't like it, we'll go in and kill them and we'll put up a column to celebrate how many people we killed because we're the fucking Romans and we're the best. We can't have that anymore because that's not that's not progressive. I mean, it is it is it's the underlying ideology of progressivism, I would say, but it's not progressive on the surface. So it has to be coached in this um, kind of yeah liberal liberal progressive internationalism. Which, you know, we're seeing now with the the um, the bombing of Syria with you know the bombs going down with the trans pride flag on them probably isn't happening but it's that it may as well be you know <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah so it's worse it's more it's more oppressive because it's it's colonization rather than conquest yeah yeah and colonization under the guise of anti-colonization exactly like you're saying with the prime directive in star trek they always end up breaking the prime directive anyway because somehow the the need for these aliens to benefit from the the wisdom of the galactic federation always trumps the actual prime directive and in the same way um you know uh we're seeing talk now of um uh U.S. foreign policy being informed by kind of critical race theory, so essentially using post-colonial theory to justify colonial, colonial expansion, and Aztec even Aztec war gods and gods of cannibalism being invoked in sort of ethnic studies post-colonial classes, classes when the Aztecs, of course, were themselves a colonial power that their whole society was a, a death machine that was was geared around keeping the sun rising and falling every day by expanding into different tribal territories and killing all of the people that that you find there, taking the prisoners and killing them. So it's like, okay, well, that's nice and post-colonial then, isn't it? Um, but, you know, it's, don't, don't, don't dare question it because that might be, um, you might be, be accused of... Uh, not checking your privilege. Mm. Well, I wonder if the Aztecs believe that now that you're mentioning that. That was probably um, similar to what we see today, that there are narratives created to justify the policies that are desired. And, you know, those who implement the policies don't believe in the, in the narratives. They're just using them. And, but, but, and that this is why I say it's more pernicious when the Romans were just saying, fuck you with the Romans and we can kill and rape your women, kill you and rape your women as much as we want, at least the oppressed people had the, um, the space of, of internal defiance. At least they knew they were being fucked over, right? Um, whereas now it's, you know, we're your friend and we're here to actually teach you tolerance and, and, and help you progress. And uh, if you don't, submit then you're an evil backward racist uh etc 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 so it's crazy making like the, the only way really to or, or rather central to the submission there 
isn't just physical. You're not just being physically dominated. You're being psychologically dominated. Mm. You know, it's gaslighting. It's like uh, conquest that in involves gaslighting as well. Psychological operations. And I think that, you know, a lot of the time one thinks of psychological operations, they're just, they're a means to an end. But I think they're an end as well, because psychological operations make people crazy. I mean, they're always gaslighting in one form or another because they're always creating narratives or theatre uh, that distort reality and, and lure people into a false sense of reality. So then, I could say the whole of culture, as this is what 16 Mounts of Hell is about, really, that um, they're always referring to, or more and more, they're referring to manufactured, like product placement, manufactured stimuli rather than natural ones to orientate themselves you know, is it hot is it cold well check my cell phone don't look at the sky check the weather on my smartphone etc right? always referring to the technology which is the delivery device for the the uh, propaganda and the medium is the message the technology is designed to get us to move in certain ways and think and speak and be in certain ways that makes us more and more receptive to the propaganda and eventually we become deliverers of it. So yeah, this kind of colonization, more and more um, disconnecting us from the natural signs around us that tell us what's happening, more and more dependent on the manufactured ones, which are more and more deceptive because it's... Uh, it's exponential, isn't it? Right? Crazy people make crazy tech for a crazy world. It just gets crazier and crazier, faster and faster. And I do think, I've been wanting to mention this since we started your conversation with Alison McDowell, is it? Yeah. When she she added a new wrinkle to this that I hadn't fully copped to, not copped to, grokked, uh, that we're being lured into a virtual reality game as the, as the chips. We're being lured into forms of behavior that other people who created the tech and who are, have the panopticon and can watch our every move, they can then bet on us. Just like the ancient gods, the Greek gods, they had that oracle, that, that pool that they looked in, they looked down at the human beings, saw what they were doing. We didn't, I don't know if they made bets or not, I don't know if, but might as well have done. I mean, Je uh, Jehovah and Satan with Joe, that's like a bet. See that guy down there? I bet you if you do this, this, and this, he's going to do that. And the devil says, nah, you just said, all right, let's shake on it. Right? So our elite, we know our elite. <laughs> we know that, that these, whatever they are, aspire to be gods. Because uh, that's just very simple. That's just basic psychology. Um, and, and they're finding, they're creating the means to, to have the experience themselves and obviously they don't become gods, but they will, they will feel like gods. Imagine if you could, instead of just watching Netflix, you could basically watch what anyone was doing on the planet and then be communicating with your cohorts. You know, I bet he, he's going to get robbed on this corner and the guy can even, you know, somebody else can provoke... Uh, you know, a known mugger to have an encounter. God knows how they can manipulate our behaviours, but certainly they can they can bet on it, knowing that the, there are a number of parameters that are given. What would we call it? It's like an avatar, but you know, a character anyway. 
is mm. likely to go. Um, and uh, yeah, imagine the, the, the power, the rush that, that a human being could get, feeling like the mass body of humanity with just these, these little chips in this vast virtual reality game and that they were you know, at the controls of it. I had not considered that. I think that that's that's a really key point. You know, what what the game plan of the elite is, why they want to herd us all into these different behaviors, and why that also includes violence, provoking us into violence and destructive behaviors. Obviously, that that's part of the control mechanism. But also make the the game more entertaining for them. Maybe they want a real zombie game. Maybe they want a zombie apocalypse so they can bet whose brains get eaten. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole because it's so horrific. But I think it's an important piece of the puzzle to understand that we're being lured, not just as batteries, but also as as, as chips in, in in a vast digital casino of men who would be gods. Yeah, and uh, that that's the the key bit of the matrix that wasn't really. They never really went down that particular route of that the the AIs that control the matrix might get some kind of rush. I suppose they kind of hinted at it with the Merovingian talking about how, you know, he, he kind of enjoyed speaking French and drinking wine and stuff like that. But even then, he was kind of a minor, a relatively minor player. It wasn't like the controllers of the matrix were depicted as getting any kind of rush from seeing this world that they had created and controlling the humans within it. In fact, it was kind of the idea that once you've got the matrix, as long as everyone's just doing their own thing, it's kind of a laissez-faire capitalist system. So mm -hmm. it's the neoliberal ideology. Well, no, we're just, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not controlling the market. We're just, we're just going to let things, we don't want to regulate anything. Actually, <laughs> you know, the neoliberal system involves a huge amount of interference and, you know, tax breaks and tax dodges and nepotism that guides things along. And um, I mean, coming back to this idea of creating this, this video game, is this, you know, is this the final bit of hubris that will actually bring our current elites down to their knees this is what i've been wondering recently is the you know is the the crisis kind of accelerates and they they've got this crazy demented plan for the world that really can't possibly actually really work at scale because i just can't imagine there's enough resources so i, I can only assume that the real plan must be to try and kill off as many people as they can so that the the kind of smart city ai gamification world can even be viable so there's only a few handful of survivors that's living in these dreadful dreadful little pod cities um but i wonder if this will just you know this will collapse so this will lead to such an efficient collapse <laughs> if they, they just left it alone for a bit then probably they could have held on to power for longer ironically but in trying to do this desperate sort of right okay let's actually 
let's do it now let's become the gods we've always we've always dreamed of being i don't know i'm not a one of the faithful i've only come for your wine and i give my soul for an endless cup show me where to sign the I think it's in the nature of power to always want more because it's the pathogen that's driving us and uh, yeah it's constantly craving more and there's a sense that time is running out so it's it's, it's the power grab um, and the sense that you know when when judgment comes well, I mean anything to postpone that day of judgment and to try and find some loophole, some way to actually postpone it 
inevitably, you know, indefinitely. Uh, so I, I mean, there's two two answers to that that come to my mind. One is, well, never underestimate the ingenuity of madmen because there is a certain kind of genius to madness and vice versa. And as I've said a number of times, I think that a lot of these analyses and probably the more grounded ones, actually, ironically, as compared to David Icke or someone, I think they do underestimate the kind of level of brilliance that we're seeing here in terms of the satanic agenda, precisely because there's something metaphysical behind it. And I think these are, these are vessels for something greater. So in that, and in that context, and in that regard, uh, don't rule out the possibility that they want to keep us alive as literal batteries as literal power sources, as in, you know, hamsters in a ham human hamsters in a hamster wheel generating electricity, for example. Because uh, that's not, in the Matrix they didn't get that right either, like the human body wouldn't really generate that much energy, I don't think. But it certainly would if it was on a treadmill, you know, eight hours a day. And if that was the only way that a human being could keep getting its Netflix and its food delivered, you bet that most humans would do it, right? So th there could be a wrinkle here we haven't seen in that peacock can happen and that the elite can still maintain this crazy dystopia. That, that's number one. And number two, I think, was the metaphysical aspect that uh, and this might be too speculative, perhaps. I don't know if we really need to go there, but I think certainly we can more than speculate I think we can deduce that there are levels of of power and control and levels of awareness and that in that kind of artificial hierarchy the ones above are exploiting and using the ones below and so certainly what I wonder about Bill Gates recently does Bill Gates even exist because if somebody that was that powerful as, as the evidence seems to be suggesting surely we wouldn't know who he was that would be totally impractical or turn it around the other way you know that, well maybe I'm saying the same thing twice but uh, yeah somebody who's that powerful would just need to keep a low profile it wouldn't be up there um, visible for everyone to see so either Bill Gates is, is just a computer simulation or he's just a front man or both, um, and as a front man, anyway, anyone who's visible uh, is is not at the highest level, and so probably is being exploited and used by those above them, mm. in a similar way to that they are exploiting and using, you know, without knowing it. I mean, we've got the administerial elite. I think this speaks also to why it's very hard for for beginners or dilettantes to, to grasp conspiracy theory. They always, you know, or, or, or the larger picture of social engineering, let's say, they always want to over-literalize it and say, well, I know lots of scientists and doctors and they couldn't possibly be all in on the big plot to cover up or create a pandemic, etc., etc. You know all the arguments, I'm sure, as I do, as well as I do. Um, but that... 
Uh, yeah, that doesn't understand how it works, this compartmentalization thing. So anyway, the administerial elite, um, they get their perks and they get a certain amount of power and there is a certain amount of conscious conspiring, even if it's ideologically driven, you know, um, liberal progressive conspiring, let's make sure we hire black people and women or, or, or you know, recast all these historical roles with black people, even though there were no black people back in those days, or etc. You know, there's all kinds of crazy things that these admin elite are doing that are conspiratorial. They have to plot and have meetings about it. It's not actually necessarily criminal, so perhaps conspiratorial isn't, isn't the word. But anyway, they, they certainly don't need to have any awareness about how promoting anti-racism or transgender is nested within a much larger program of social control and derangement you know, and uh, you know, engendering mimetic violence and so on, right, to do that. So they're being used. So anyway, so we've got these Russian dolls, really, of, of levels of manipulation and exploitation. And presumably, corresponding with those different levels, there are different perks. You know, the admin elite, they just want a nice house and, and then a couple of cars. Uh, the Bill Gates, well, they want their own islands, their own countries. But so who's above the Bill Gates? What do they want? And I think there are, I mean, that is speculative, but I think there are higher level human elites um, uh, than Bill Gates even, uh, who, who, who aren't interested in money or land. They're interested in immortality. They're interested in avoiding Judgment Day indefinitely, never having to be accountable to their own unconscious. And I don't know how they do it. I mean, the transhuman, or how they think they're going to do it. The transhumanism thing, I think, is is a is a uh, it's kind of a red herring. But I think it's 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 obviously a trap. But I would say it's a trap that the people, some of the people who are building it, they have, they are going to enter into it because they they don't realise it's a trap. But others know it's a trap, so they're not they're not believing that they can upload their consciousness to Facebook. They know that that's not going to work. So then they must have another... They may be de deranged as well. So yeah, I don't... The only the only place I come to a faith that, yes, it's all going to go horribly wrong and the elite will be brought to their knees is when, when God intervenes. And that's my only sense of... Uh, well, not even making the world a better place, but... Um, the only thing that's really going to make a difference is divine intervention. And I know that sounds like a statement of faith, and I suppose it is, but we can we can also change the subject. But if we stay on the subject, we can talk about what that means, because I would say that divine intervention is going to come through through nature and through human beings. It's not some guy in a cloud. It's some, It's some mysterious factor that is going to say, if anything's going to save us, it's going to be that. And that's going to be the same thing that's going to bring the elite to their knees. I don't think it's going to be as easily mappable or predictable as as you might be hoping based on these different scenarios, because I just feel that there are hidden, uh, you know, weapons. They've got hidden weapons. 
Yeah, and possibly hidden understandings, as you were mentioning, transhumanism as being a pla uh, a trap. Uh, that um, that is something I, I I've I've wondered myself. Is it is is the transhumanism a kind of sci-fi gloss that we're being sold to kind of capture the minds of people who are, you know, brought up on Star Trek and think Elon Musk is the most intelligent man in the world and that we're going to be on Mars in 10 years' time and all this kind of shit. But behind all of that, are there people who actually, they really, they know that transhumanism bollocks, but maybe there's some other, there's a, there's a kind of, there is, there's an element of truth in to the extent that they believe in immortality or they believe in sort of dethroning God or in some becoming gods themselves and that you know this this we end up with a kind of occult with an occult system um so then, yeah, do they have do they have access to techniques and technologies that actually aren't necessarily entirely dependent on the mechanized industrial system that we can see collapsing all around us? That maybe there's you know there's the aha well, <laughs> thought it was all about creating a digital matrix world. Actually, you know, it's something else. You know, um, I don't know. But it, it's it, it's it's plausible. It's plausible at least that there's there's a belief in that. Definitely plausible. There's a belief in that. In fact, yeah. quite likely, I'd say. Well, uh, I, I don't know about the hidden technology or that, that. That seems likely to me somehow, anyway, because of even what I think we know about the military only releasing technology in you know, fifty years after they've developed it to the public. So although things are accelerating, that could be that that gap, you know, there's a smaller gap now, but also things are accelerating. So even technology that's 10 years ahead of now would be very, very advanced, right? So if they're using technology now that we won't hear about for 10 years, or mm, let's take it back a step, if 10 years ago they were using the technology that we're just finding out about now, being conservative, um, then yeah, they're, they're 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 playing on a different game board than the one we're aware of. So yeah, certainly. I mean, that's a conservative estimate there. You know, we we don't really know if they have alternatives to oil that aren't these stupid electric cars that are, are like the transhumanist thing. Like yeah, if you believe in that, well, buy this bridge thing. Then there's the metaphysical. Hang on, and again, I keep coming back to that, and I'm, I'm aware it's speculative. But on the other hand, it's where my orientation is going more and more, and that's why Steiner has appealed to me, that metaphysical models of reality, I'd say that they're, they're definitely more dangerous than para-sociopolitical ones, because they're harder to verify, and we can get more quickly into delusional, and they're more empowering. But I'd say that they're possibly more necessary and that, I mean, this is a sense I said on Tuesday and I'm, so I'm saying it again now and seeing if it, it maybe, is it true that uh, 
because it isn't just about we just turn away from any kind of intellectual understanding because it's beyond our understanding and we don't want to end up in David Eichland or uh, it, it's it's the how much do I need to map hell before I can be satisfied that I don't want to be there right sociopolitically and then what comes next is it really just grunting over your turnip soup you know in, in the Galician community uh, or or is there still because I don't feel that I've become intellectually less developed or intellectually less um, uh, I can't, I'm not finding the words my intellect's failing failing me um, prodigious my intellect's working fine and it's still as curious as ever to understand things uh, as I become more embodied so I feel that there's definitely nothing wrong with the intellect it's just that it needs to be really embedded in the, in the body embodied and referring to reality always and not going off on these you know these tangents that end up with transhumanism or any other number of things where we become you know Satan's harvest so then uh, this, this was all the preamble really to understanding metaphysics um, I can't remember now what was the context oh it was the technology yeah that the, the when you mention an occult aspect, that there's there are there's a if we want to call it technology, there are methods. Let's say that whether or not they include technology, they certainly transcend what we think of as technology or what we know of as technology that are being used. Let's just say to um, to perpetuate the prison planet, to 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 advance and develop the prison planet and make it completely unescapable, and to turn it into this this little satanic mill of constant harvesting of the human life force, uh, and that that's what's in it for the humans who've who've chosen that route, that somehow Satan can reign supreme and create this permanent little quarantined area where God has got no access and it'll just, it'll be a, uh, what's the word, eternal motion machine, you know, it'll just keep on sustaining itself indefinitely in some hideous limbo. There are, I, I feel there are, meta, there are metaphysical principles there that it's almost preferable not to know them, know them or know about them because it's just so hideously dark and particularly you get to, I mean, actually Steiner mentioned this on an audio that the black magicians, the, their, their thing or the thing they have to learn to really become effective is, is, is how to pierce human flesh and take pleasure from it. And I was very surprised to hear this from Steiner because he doesn't usually go super dark like that. And it was just there. He didn't linger on it. But anyway, the the metaphysical principles that I say it would be preferable almost not to know about them, much less talk about them. They also correspond with physical practices, which are just you know the the uh, quintessence of abhorrent. The, the very nature, you know, is the, the most abhorrent human practices imaginable. 
So obviously that makes it even more unpalatable to talk or think about. But also the principles themselves, they're just so, they're so um, aberrant, abhorrent and aberrant, aberrational, that it feels as though it could be corrupting to even think about them. But on the other hand, uh, if we're embedded in this, and this is a, a whole portion of the, or a, a very um, dominant portion of the human energy field is, is oriented towards this, it's like a lever that is manipulating the, the rest of the human energy field and disrupting it in order to harvest the energy, a bit like psychedelics actually, if you get here, it's like hacking into it to release the energy and then consume it. Uh, if that's going on, number one, we probably do need to have at least some intellectual sense of it just so we can recognize when we're tuning into it or, or feeling it happening. And number two, we're complicit with it and we might have even practiced these practices in the past whether you go past life or ancestral or in my case 60 maps hell I look at it in my past is in you know literally the, the things I was doing as an adolescent watching those movies I was learning to take pleasure in watching you know human bodies being stabbed that's mm. exactly what I was doing and that's exactly what Steiner says is the, uh, you know, the entrance fee or the entrance trial for, for, for practicing these metaphysical practices. So it's, it, it is, it's, I think it's indispensable or it's both unmentionable and unavoidable as, as a, a, a much subtler and more invisible technology slash methodology that is ruling this world currently. I mean, I feel a bit sick having had to talk about this. I hope you're doing all right. But, it's, I mean, it's, it's truly hideous stuff. But somebody's got to go there, I think. I know I've said that a lot. It might be a bit of a self-rationalization. But no, I'm not going there because I want to. I just think uh, the state of the human energy field is something that's only really going to be resolved by like a doctor with a diagnosis by really going in there and saying, okay, what the hell is this mm. cancer? Mm. You know, how did it get generated and how far has it spread and what's what's its constitution? Um, so, that, so yeah, just to finish up then, so the crisis is so much more than socio-political. Right? biological, it's psychological, it's metaphysical, it's cosmic, it's, it's spiritual, it's a spiritual crisis. Mm -hmm. Well, there's several different, several different things that, that I'd like to pick up from that. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned psychedelics, because that was one of the, one of the mm. things I interested to talk to you about today as well. But, um, maybe leaving that as a, as a sort of, uh, bookmark um there's there's two approaches i can see that one can take towards the, the stuff we're talking about and i i as you know i i pretty much agree that there's some horrific metaphysical metaphysically orientated practices that that happen in the physical world um that are practiced are probably happening now 
somewhere in the world uh, and they seem to be concentrated disproportionately amongst the elite not that there isn't the same kind of horrors happening on every level of society but at the same time once you get above a certain point and um you know i found out recently that matt graining of the simpsons uh was uh, a attendant on one of jeffrey epstein's private jets and you know he was sort of being given a toe massage by some underage unfortunate girl and it's like I grew up with The Simpsons, you know. I mean, I still it's quotes from The Simpsons pop into my head. I mean, at least the the '90s era Simpsons. It went it went down the shitter pretty quickly after the millennium. But um, it's it's like it was it was there with me like an old friend throughout my childhood, basically for almost as long as I can remember. Sort of, I think it debuted in the late '80s, just just at the point I was becoming aware. And so, okay, even if Matt Groening didn't personally write any of the, the, you know, genuinely, I think, quite brilliant scripts that still stand up today as being, as being you know, some of the, the better material that was produced from American pop culture at that time, he, he created the thing. He created those drawings, and those drawings have become little little demigods floating around in my psyche and kind of bringing meaning and humor and life to to my imagination and then by extension my experience of the world and and even he's hanging out with fucking jeffrey epstein so it's like how is how how are all these things affecting us how are all these uh um practices that are practices being enacted by the people making the, the culture that we consume and making the decisions that we vote for or against every four years or whatever it is how are those affecting us and what do we do about it bringing it back to what you're saying is going in like a surgeon going in and going right what what's happening here what's going on diagnosing it you know, and actually not being, not flinching. And maybe, maybe not everyone is actually capable of that. Certainly, I think there are very few people from my experience have the capacity to handle that kind of information and, you know, not either just completely shut down or lose the plot in a genuine, like actually really comprehending what's happening you know i i spent i spent a year or two really quite seriously considering the possibility that david ike was literally right about a lot of things that i now don't think he's literally right i think there's some symbolic archetypal truths there, but you know i don't necessarily think everything he says is literally true because some of it is i think it's a literalization an over literalization of something that should be understood symbolically but there were, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe the queen does turn into a 12 foot lizard when people aren't looking, you know, because you just, once you get to a certain point, once you realize how many, how many people in the elite seem to be partaking in the most disgusting 
practices and even if they're not personally they're complicit by being you know close friends with jimmy savile close friends with jeffrey epstein uh close friends with jill n maxwell whatever it is so what do we do about that and do, do at what point once we've gone in can we then go right well now now we can now we can leave we can turn away you know the 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 sort of just withdraw your energy from the empire as john michael greer once said and then a little piece of the energy of the empire just falls into the ocean because you've just starved it of of your actual you know your consumer resources you're not you're not you're not feeding into it because you're growing your own food and you're growing your own herbs for medicine and all the rest of it and you might have to do some dealings with you know with the coins with caesar's face on it but i mean you're on the way at least to stepping away from it and i suppose those two those thinking about it those two approaches sort of complement each other that you 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 look at it and you accept it for what it is and then you're ready at that point to go as you know as as what 16 maps uh was partly about was sort of just let's go right into the heart of this using hollywood as a a nexus point and then okay we've mapped it out and now we can now we can begin to move away from it move away from that conditioning once we've recognized its effects in our own bodies would that be fair would that be a fair kind of um description of the 16 maps
Yeah, I mean, it's not, of course not everyone has the Hollywood thing that I had, but I think it's more widespread than other things I've written about, like Whitley Street, let's say, or Crowley. Um, and I also think it's more apparently innocuous. Mm. It's easier to show how Hollywood is a microcosm for the whole of our culture, the values that you said about the Simpsons. Um, those seem like the values of the Simpsons, the humour, the irony, the social commentary, the, the creativity, the inventiveness and so on, the good Simpsons, that would seem like the, you know, the, the better result or product of culture. It would seem like it, wouldn't it? And uh, of course the fact that Matt Groening ended up on an iron doesn't mean that he was evil at the beginning it just means he ended up that way uh, but still I mean that was his means that the Simpsons was his way in to Lolita Island or whatever that, that's got to be cause for alarm just as with Jimmy Savile you know that can't really separate uh, him being a pioneer in pop culture and friend of the Beatles and all that, you know, one of the leading players in making rock and roll and pop music as big as it was, uh, and and having kids' shows, you can't separate that from what we now know about what he was doing behind the scenes. Uh, and, and I also don't think you can overestimate how difficult it is for those of us who are bred on this culture to extricate ourselves from it. It is very much like the Matrix. How would you unplug yourself without some sort of intervention, without meeting Morpheus? Mm. I mean, maybe you can't. I don't know, because I was lucky enough to meet David Shana, and I think in some ways I've served a similar function for others. So, I mean, I suppose I could... Uh, think about that myself like I, I I always had a sense that I was trapped in a in a fake world like I had that sense as a child and I don't think I ever lost it but the irony and the tragedy is is that my trying to escape that feeling of being oppressed by unreality was actually what led me to Hollywood I mean caused me to immerse in Hollywood because I wanted relief um, but anyway, uh, in terms of yeah, extracting ourselves from the system, I think for some people it's enough just to see how crazy things are getting now. So probably the work I've been doing is becoming, it's become, on the one hand it's becoming more relevant than ever, but on the other hand it's also perhaps becoming a bit obsolete and redundant because society and culture is so is so palpably and experientially deranged now and more and more every every week that someone wouldn't have to read 16 Maps of Hell to think fuck it I should just get back to nature mm. right. but I don't know how many people are doing it and I don't know how they're doing it and if it's in the right spirit uh, and I haven't done it fully yet to know myself um, but I think my point was, is yeah, the more clearly we see how, how toxic the culture is, the more we can motivate it to 
to return to nature or refer to nature as an alternate matrix. Um, what I don't know, we've skirted around it, is, um, I mean, I, I had this dream once, I've recounted it on another podcast, which was that the people who were trying to escape the planet didn't realise that they were connected to the human energy field, I didn't use that term back then, regardless of how far away they went. So although they made it to Mars or whatever planet it was, and they they uh, they set up a viewing area where they could watch the Earth die, having killed it, thinking it would be the most satisfying show they'd ever get to watch. But as the Earth died, uh, and all the humans on it, they started dying too and they realised they were, they were part of the same body even though they'd separated themselves and um, so I wonder in terms of if we do disconnect from the culture and become independent from it if that's possible or to the extent that it's possible we're still part of the human energy field and this brings us back to our opening thing about the apocalypse and how to feel about it, as in in a social social sense, as in there are loads of people going through really really terrible times and and and, and ending up dead. Um, uh, how it's going to affect us, well, as as the majority, the larger portion of the human energy field um, becomes completely uh, debilitated completely disembodied and then the bodies are just these host vessels for for AI slash demon intelligences or ancestral fragments whatever it is that's going to inhabit them as I think is happening um, the rest of that human energy feel you know that can't embody it's just in this limbo presumably this agonizing limbo because it, it would be like uh, a hungry ghost like a, a great big hungry ghost egregore that couldn't access human bodies but hadn't um, developed its own sentience in an energetic realm so wasn't ready to disembody either or, or, or you know cross over uh, we're still going to be connected to that so it's as though we might be plotting in a, in a physical sense plot not plot planning but you know, making plots of para in a natural paradise uh, all well and good but in our shared energy um, there'll be the gnashing and the wailing of teeth of, as predicted in the, in the book of Revelation uh, and I don't see how, how to prepare for that and I don't see how to feel good about that but what we're talking about today to me is the context for the apocalypse why it's happening and why it's a good thing because if the world that we live in that's comfortable and convenient or was just a couple of years ago um, is dependent on uh, maintained by these unbelievably dark and destructive practices then it's not worth it like to end those those aberrational practices is the most essential thing I'd say to me. I'd even say if the whole human species has to be destroyed to end those practices then 
so be it. I'd be like, you know, God, I'd be on God's side of the argument with Lot when he's looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. I'd just say, sorry, one man, one good man's not enough. Well, actually, yeah, you can leave, fine, but tell your wife not to look back. And sorry, but the rest of the city's, you know, it's mine. Uh, I, I feel, I do feel that way, even knowing that, you know, I, well, I would go down with the ship, essentially, and um, my complicity is still with it, to some extent. You know, my I haven't fully atoned for my sins, and also I'm, I'm uh, committing the sin of uh, kind of wishing a terrible fate for my fellow humans. If that's a sin, I don't know, but I know that a big part of me does want all this to go away and there's just to be a few thousand or a few hundred uh, whatever a hundred thousand mortals wandering the earth and just learning to live off the land and I probably don't have to bump into more than you know a dozen or two dozen of them because there's so few of us to me that's a that's the best case scenario really uh, and but you know, I'm not saying I'm wishing that because I think it would be irresponsible to wish it, but it would be hard not to feel good about that for me, even though I know it would be massive amounts of suffering for other human beings. So, so I'm I'm very divided. I don't think I have said this line yesterday. There is no decent place to stand in a massacre. Leonard Cohen, uh, who knew a few things, as as we as you know. Uh, there isn't really a good position to take in, in, in our current situation. There really isn't, except just physically and practically, as I keep saying, just get back to nature, spend loads of time in nature, walking, 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 and uh, that's it. That's all. That's all I can see, and, and that that's a that's a spatial position. But internally, emotionally, psychologically, morally. Back to being in the matrix and the not being being aware of being in it, but there's no obvious recourse. This journey of zero distance that Dave talks about. How do you begin a journey of zero distance? How do you say uh, I'm going to be free now? I'm going to leave my mind behind and just be fully in my body. How do you say I'm going to be enlightened? Uh, you know, what do you do? How do you, how do you allow that to happen? And at the end of the day, it's that the, the uh, Christian model is that you, you just pray and do good works and, and just have faith that at some point God will have mercy and maybe cry out as well in the wilderness. <laughs> I think God, you know, there's a lot of people praying now, so you probably have to really make it count. Uh, and that, that would be the core of, um, I think, desperation. I can't think of another word. I mean, I feel less and less desperate in my life, although I've had a, a rough day or so with computer problems and things. But generally, I feel more seated and settled in my life. But I would say that Humanity is self-destroying in the most hideous possible way. So we're not feeling a core of despair and desperation around that, then something's a bit wrong. So, so then is there a way to channel that into a really pure call to the higher powers, to the 
the source of goodness to intervene in a way that isn't ideologically you know wrapped up in baggage and just just as a visceral cri de coeur is the French you know cry from the heart uh, I suspect that that's 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 a necessary part of the salvation formula if you will yeah. mm. Mm. I was also thinking of something that um, it came up in one of the more interactive Dave meetings that happened recently where a woman was saying that she'd been traveling in the wilderness uh, and then she'd come back to uh, the city and then everyone was just going batshit crazy and it was horrible and she was like I want to go back to the wilderness but I feel like it's maybe selfish to do so and it struck some of us that actually it's probably quite good for the overall human spirit that you're you you know you you're out in nature and you're nourishing yourself because that on some level that transmits to the rest of the energy field mm. um there's something i i think there's something there in that that ties ties some of that together of what you're saying of i mean when this situation started and i actually for a couple of weeks at least thought there might be a pretty frightening virus that was you know worth worth paying attention to i'm not necessarily saying i don't think there is a virus that might in fairly rare instances be frightening for some people but for most people i think we've seen from the statistics and from our own experience it's just not it's not that it's not like that but when i did think it might be like that my response was well, I better get myself as healthy as possible and get my immune system as good as possible because that's the intelligent response to me is that if there's a pandemic, you don't, as the government want, wants us to do, stay home, get drunk and fat and depressed because that's not good for the immune system, which means that the virus will find more carriers and it will spread like that, assuming that's how viruses spread. So... The sensible thing to do is to get lots of sunlight, get lots of exercise, uh, eat healthy, keep your microbiome in check, you know, um, sauerkraut, that sort of thing. And to bolster up your own health. And then the more people who do that, the, the more that the virus will encounter these buffers and the pandemic will encounter these buffers that it just can't move through. And so I suppose drawing that as an analogy out to this situation that we're in a, a state of the human energy field is in a state of sickness there's a sickness that's afflicting it now we could say maybe and um it it's really damaged and it's weakened and it, it seems to be particularly bad in certain areas of the world actually the the most in some ways the most developed areas of the world seem to at the moment be getting it at the forefront of you know the, the west western europe and america north america um seem to be afflicted from this um you know as in terms of the pandemic situation certain states of the us have bucked the trend and started to lift the lockdowns and you know that maybe just the uh 
the releasing of restrictions on people to go about and see their friends and families maybe that's you know, having some positive effect i would hope but in general you know where i am in britain it's fucked <laughs> it's it's not not a good situation so what do we do about that well that there's a there's a uh there's an affliction here so how do we how do we respond to that or it, perhaps the only thing we can do is in a you know in as part of that cry to the divine powers to to intervene that you know that cry has to come from a healthy as healthy a source as it can do as clear a source as it can do um and to keep our you know to nourish ourselves to be in nature and to to live well and to to give each other genuine kindness as much as we can um and to you know that i i understand this this sort of fuck it you know and it, it was something that came up recently as i said on the affinity group recently on twitter uh as an associate of mine who completely turned on me like really quite aggressively turned on me when i just gently sort of gently reminded her that you know, not to let her heart close in this situation. So I understand, but, you know, just wishing, just being gleefully and openly on, on a social media platform in the case of, you know, it's like, yeah, we've all been there, but in the, in the, on a, a social media platform to just sort of wish death on people. Mm -hmm gleefully wish death on can't wait for them all to die just ah mm. it, it's uh it actually i mean when i read it it hurt me a little bit it was like something was wrong and it's you know part of that's because i know i've got friends and family who are either considering taking the vaccine or have done already and there's not much i can, i've done my best you know and i continue to do my best to remind them it's not necessary it's not safe but there's only so much that someone can do and I can't close my heart to them for that. I can only wish that I can only wish that it doesn't harm them in the way that it, that I fear that it might, um, you know, and, but I understand that. I understand the sentiment and, you know, it's, it's, we've all, we've all had, these kinds of thoughts we've all had these kinds of dark thoughts and yeah hmm. yeah where do we where do we i suppose just coming back from that it's like whatever else happens whether it is just you know whether there there are there are a few straggling bands of survivors in the aftermath of all this or whether it's you know something slightly less dramatic or slightly more drawn out i suppose the the response is just just be cut it drawing it short just kind of healthy basically <laughs> happy as much as we can even with within feeling that gnawing and that gnashing of teeth that you mentioned you know mm. yes well it's hard to argue with that so i wouldn't try and
It is weird though because I would say I have felt happier and more whole and healthier since this pandemic madness began and it could just be coincidental timing just as my moving to Galicia is coincidental I mean it was already uh, I was already intending to do this before February of last year um, so it could be but um it may. It could also be that they're somehow complementary, and also I was thinking with this cry from the heart, because I haven't been feeling that deep well of despair that wants me to cry to the heavens like Griffin Dunn at the end of After Hours. Uh, why me? <laughs> what have I done? Uh, and I've had plenty of times like that in my life. So I'd say I'm further from that than ever. And the last time recently that I cried out to the heavens, I cried out, I love life. And, and I've never, I don't think I've even said that before, never mind shouted it at the top of my lungs. So that's closer to my experience, is this discovering or rediscovering this deep abiding love of life. Uh, but I don't think it's a coincidence that I was alone in nature when I had that experience. I sure as hell wouldn't have done that in a city, and not because I would have been self-conscious, that too, but because I wouldn't have felt it. I wouldn't have had the experience of suddenly realising how glorious it is to be alive. Um, so I can, I can see a couple of ways that those things are complementary. One is, as well, the worse things get for, other, for people in general, uh, the easier it is to really see how good I have it here currently but but the other is um, a bit trickier which is um, what we started on that in some way I do feel good about the apocalypse and and I and I've always wanted to see the apocalypse and and I don't although there's a part of me that is M perhaps malicious even like this person that you mentioned that actually is wishing harm on others I'm not saying I'm free from that um, I don't think it's primarily that and even with the vaccine I could say that I'm a bit between you and your friend there because I know people who have taken the vaccine and they've done it in a way that I think is it's, it's almost criminally irresponsible and the fact that they're defending it like that person at my blog uh, they then become complicit. So it isn't just about taking the vaccine, it's then about becoming a spokesperson for the vaccine and becoming a disseminator of lies and of um, destructive distortions of reality. And, and presumably that mindset was there before they had the vaccine, unless it really is like Steiner predicted and they just totally become a different people afterwards. Um, so then... Well, there's two things. One is, I feel that even if they're right and the vaccine is relatively harmless, it's pure fluke, right? They wouldn't deserve to be that lucky, in my opinion. Uh, that might seem uncharitable, especially if it's somebody I care about, but I'm about justice and reality and what's true. And a person who takes a vaccine 
based on no evidence that it's safe and based on just a slavish, slavish submission to state power and propaganda, in my opinion, they don't deserve to get away with it. Now, if they are aware that it was a bad idea, but they have, you know, then I feel differently. But if they're really feeling strongly about it, so there's that, and I know that that could be a bit punitive, but it could also be a desire for justice. I've always identified with avenging angels, and I think vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. When it's God's vengeance, it's justice. You know, it's, 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 it's right and it's fair. So, and then the other thing is, well, what's real and what's true? Because if, if we were born as one of the generations that would see, well, what we're referring to as the apocalypse anyway, I mean, it's just shorthand for something, but some massive shift in the whole human energy field of mind society, uh, then wanting it wouldn't necessarily be wanting it because we like it, it would just be because we know it's coming. So I had the same thing with my sexual abuse in my past. I was like, am I actually wanting to find something there? And if so, does that, make, does that mean there's something wrong with me? But I had to say in re response, well, if you did want it to be there and there was something wrong with you, then there would be a cause for that too. So the very fact that I'm looking for it and trying to find it and, and also wanting to find it Although it's not absolute proof that something that it's there, what I'm looking for, it's proof that something is there. You know, I wouldn't be have this compulsion uh, otherwise. It's not just seeded in me by Quanon and stuff because I, you know I was ahead of the curve in that regard. Um, so that's how I feel here: is that it, a lot of it that seems like wishing bad things to happen, maybe the point of view of a physician who's really seen how bad it is and just wants other people to see it too and the only way they're going to see it is if it happens right? so if people start dying of the vaccine or really getting sick good people will start to see it that's my feeling it's not that I'm wishing bad things on people I just feel that they are doing bad things to themselves and we, I want to see the consequences and it's you know, see that's 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 a huge difference but it can seem quite subtle yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I suppose from my from my position, it'd be like hoping that those bad things will happen in time for the people I care about to twig. And so they don't. Um, sure. I can't I don't make the rules. So I can't. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's yeah, it, it's um it's a very, very strange and unexpected, strangely unexpected situation, even though I feel like I've been kind of preparing for this sort of moment for a long time. It's, uh, it's you know, the future's always, future always kind of takes you off guard, even when you, you know what's gonna happen. feeling by the way uh yeah it's quite an intense quite an intense uh intense subject matter yeah yeah definitely.
as it naturally would be, as it kind of is with us anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's sort of, it's, it was quite, yeah, um, uh, some, yeah, quite disquieting material there. So I think I'll go for a nice walk and then Exactly my thoughts too, yeah. I mean, I'm used to intense, but you're used to intense too, so get us together and we get new levels of intensity. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay, alright, well, good, I'm glad we did it, and yeah, shake off and drink lots of water, and uh, yeah, you're in the t- same time zone, more or less, so. To nature we shall go. You can feel it, you can feel That's the end of that conversation with Luke Dodson. We intend to follow it up with a second part next week. And that will be up at the Dodcast. At some point soon I will link to it uh, in the show notes here and share it at my blog when that happens. And I will try to let Luke do some more talking next time. You can hear